there was a revival meeting in our town, and there was a Bible, and I began thumbing through it idly. And as I did so, one particular verse, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Never read that before. But at that particular point in my life, I was greatly disturbed, and I had been for months, and I had consulted with different people, and I had found no relief at all. Nothing solved the problem until that particular moment. The Bible had never meant anything like that to me before, and it really spoke to my heart, and it changed the whole direction of my life. Just because I picked up that Bible, and I've never forgotten that, and that happened back in the 1950s, when most of you were not even alive. <laughs> we retired, both retired in 1991, got involved in the church, joined a Sunday school class, and within six months, I was the teacher of the class. Then I began naturally praying for the people in the room. Got involved initially with the Stephen's ministry began praying naturally for those particular people that I was involved with. And then I began to hear about other people to pray for. So I'm simply involved praying for a lot of people. For some mysterious reason, I guess that's why people say sometimes that prayer is a mystery, he accomplishes what he wants to do in the lives of people around us, mainly through prayer. In fact, I don't doubt that there's everyone in this room right now, God intends to use your prayers to accomplish his work. Therefore, pray. <laughs> okay, when I do this, I see people differently. I see them as people that I probably need to pray for. I get a clearer insight into what I'm supposed to do if I have this prayer relationship with him. And so this is what I want. What do I do for fun? I study, I teach, that's fun, I like it. Slowly I think that my teaching will phase out and the main ministry I have in the future will be prayer. So I try to learn how to listen to God. I had a grandmother that was a prayer and she prayed for me. She died at least 40 years ago and I still believe her prayers for me count in my life now. Some of the prayers I pray today, I may never live to see them answered, but they're not wasted. God doesn't forget our prayers and I know beyond any question, these prayers are going to have an effect in that life. So that's the reason I pray. Well, I want to begin by welcoming uh, those who are here at our 930 Cornerstone service, as well as those uh, attending the Well of the Well Cafe uh, this morning. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and I'm thrilled to share with you uh, the fifth week of this series, Talking with God. I'll tell you, one of the great things about a series like this is being able to share with our entire church family uh, some of the treasures of our church, uh, like John Wheat. Uh, we had the chance uh, about a month ago at 11 o'clock clock uh, service uh, to honor and celebrate John's 90th birthday and his continued ministry here in our church, teaching the Wesley class and all the various ways uh, that he ministers. You heard a little bit about what that means to him and how prayer is a part of that. Uh, if you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 27. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you uh, on the blue, in the blue Bibles that we have provided for you, you'll, you'll find Psalm 27 on page 862 uh, in 
those blue Bibles. I would love for you to locate that uh, as we share uh, this next message in this series that's focused on prayer and specifically the goal of, of when we come to the end of this, that every person in our church would feel more confident and more capable talking with God. Uh, so five weeks into this, I hope you already sense that. I hope you already uh, have felt an increased confidence and you feel more capable in that. Uh, if not, we have one week left and we'll, we'll try really hard to make sure that works for you uh, in your life. But just to review real quick what we've talked about. We started with the question, how do I pray? We looked at Luke chapter 11 where the disciples of Jesus essentially ask him that exact same question. And in response, Jesus first gives them a prayer to pray. Uh, the, the prayer that we just prayed together, the Lord's Prayer, is what Jesus provides. It's, it's Jesus' way of saying it's as simple as this. Just, just say this. If you need a really simple starting point, just start here, praying this prayer. The other thing that Jesus provides is a picture of God. It says, when you pray, think about God in this way, that God is your Father. God loves you as His children. He longs to hear your needs and concerns. So see God that way. Pray to God in that way. We've talked about prayer as God's way of building a relationship with us, a relationship where God hopes we will understand we are known, we are valued, and we are loved. And in the context of this relationship, the, the, the prayers that we pray aren't so much about, well, I need answers for this or I need directions for that, but it's about growing in faith and trust so we can respond appropriately when Jesus says, just follow me, just follow me. We talk about how do we pray about the worries and the concerns that we have uh, in our life? Uh, how do we pray about uh, those specific needs? And we talked first that when we think about worry in our life, prayer isn't meant to be just a speed bump for your worry. Uh, it, it's not a, a place to just pause worry for a moment until you say amen and then let worry take over again. But rather, the prayer in your life should be directed against the worry in your life. And when you look at what the scriptures say about prayer... Nowhere do you find uh, that note that says you should really tone down what you're praying for. Like ask more realistically. Stop asking so much of God. Rather, all the way through scriptures, there's this consistent reminder and encouragement. Pray boldly. Ask of God whatever it is your heart wants to ask of God. Pray confidently, knowing that the God who is at work in your life right now, working for good, is the same God who will continue to work for good in whatever your future may hold. And then if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Tina talking about resting from our restlessness. And she defined restlessness as really what inhibits many of us in this practice of prayer. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a conference and one of the presenters said it this way. He said, this is how my brain works. I'll give you just a picture. Uh, it, it's a ping pong match. There's seven players playing with three balls on the same table at the same time. That's how my brain works. Now, some of you don't get that, right? You're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's how my brain works. Now, you can explain it to your boss or your spouse next time when they're trying to figure out. That's part of the restlessness that we live with, right? The restlessness that prevents us from being still and, and listening to God. Uh, one other thing that, that Tina shared that I want to just remind you again, if you were here, if you weren't here to hear this, she said, I often don't know what to pray for until I start to pray. And I just want to share with you that I find that to be so true in my own life. 
Prayer isn't something that we do because we, we know we have some things we need to share with God. Prayer is something we do because we need God. And it's in the practice of it that we often discover what it is we need to say to God. Now today I want to begin by, by showing you a sentence. Uh, it's one that at some point in your life I bet you have shared with someone else, you've, you've verbalized to another person, or you have at least thought it uh, at a particular moment in your life. Because you've, you've thought it for different reasons, i got to show it to you this way, that there have been moments in your life where you have, when something has been realized, something you have longed, hoped for, and anticipated has come true, where you have said, that was worth waiting for. Uh, on a Saturday night in April of 2000, I got down on one knee and I asked Stephanie if she would marry me. And she said yes, by the way. Thank you for all those who were wondering. I appreciate your confidence in me. She said yes, and so we immediately went to, hey, calling mom and dad and, and celebrating and then thinking about, well, when are we going to get married? What's the date? We're going to get married in December or, or later on in the spring. And we settled on June 23rd, 2001. So if you, know, if you can do the math, that's about 14 months between will you and I do, right? And let me just say to anyone who may be considering engagement, 14 months is too long, okay? I never recommend that to couples. It was the longest 14 months of my life. The days seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. But do you know what? On June 23rd, 2001, that was worth waiting for. Uh, as we've shared life together, we've had the chance to welcome uh, two kids into our life. And uh, you probably took health in high school, so you know what this is like, right? You know that there's a period of time between we found out we're expecting and the baby comes, right? There, there's a period of waiting. Now, moms, you may have other words to describe what that period of waiting is, but, but, but maybe it, uh, when that came to fruition for you in your life, when you first laid eyes on your child, maybe, maybe you thought, wow, this, this was worth waiting for. Some of you have had the joy in your life of welcoming children into your family in a different but no less sacred way. You've been through the adoption process. And often the adoption process takes even longer uh, than, than childbirth. We had, a, we had a family in our church who this week finalized the adoption of three kids. Uh, and one of those kids, uh, they had been fostering in hopes of adopting, uh, they'd been fostering them for 968 days. And then twins for 627 days. You know what those parents were thinking? That was worth waiting for. So here's what I want you to think about. What is it that fits in that blank in your life? What is it that has, that has come to fruition that when it did, you thought, wow. I mean, that took way too long. I, but that was so worth waiting for. And I start there for a couple reasons. The first is I want to point out to you something that we all know, but we don't often uh, uh, understand and, and think about in our life. Uh, and that is that there is a worth that is found in the waiting. And this worth, this value that's found in the waiting, it's not in spite of having waited for it. It's because we had to wait. The value that it has for us in our life, the, the worth that we associate with it is greater because we went through that period of waiting. It's, it's worth more to us because of that. 
But the second reason is I needed you to mentally prepare for what I'm about to read to you from Psalm 27, verse 14. Just this final verse uh, of this psalm, uh, what David says here. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, I needed to prepare you for that because that's one of those words from the scriptures, that encouragement that we sometimes get that as long as we're not currently waiting for anything in our life, we're happy to hear that, right? But it's in those seasons when we're just, we, we've waited and we're just longing, we're anticipating and nothing is happening that someone shares something like that and you're like, okay, give me another verse. I need another verse. I need something else because I'm so tired of waiting. Most of us, our default setting when it comes to waiting is this, that waiting is a waste. And we get so frustrated and so angry when something in life makes us wait. You go to the grocery store, and it's not a big trip, it's a small trip. You only need a few things, and so you get to the front, and you look at all those suckers who are in that long line, because you know there's a line just for you, for the people who are just here for impulse buys, the 20 items or less line, right? And you pull your cart up, or maybe you got your basket there, and you walk in, and you see the people in front of you, and what do all of you do? You start counting the number of items for the people in front of you. And, and, and if there's somebody in front of you that just happens to have 21 items, I mean, the sense of injustice that gets, just raises within you, how could they do that? This is so wrong. 21 items, it's, it's crazy. They're making me wait so long. There's another aisle right down there for you, which by the way, if you have 21 boxes of ramen noodles, is that one item or 21 items? I don't, I don't know, but we, we get so upset about that. Or, or have you been in the drive-through behind the person who's buying for the entire office? You know, you're at Starbucks and there's just frappuccinos coming out the window more and more and more. And you're thinking, I'm never going to get to the front of the line. What is going on? You're in traffic. You're trying to get somewhere and you're running late. You just see the, you see the, the time just passing by. You're not moving. You're wondering what's going on. And then you get to the end of the traffic and there's nothing there. You know, you're like, there's just lanes and lanes. You could be dancing and down the highway. There's no cars. You don't have any idea what the traffic's about. It's so, it's so frustrating. You, you're away from Wi-Fi. And, and you've you got to figure this out. It's just the circle of death. It's come on, load, load, load. I need to know if anyone has said anything about me on Facebook. Hurry, hurry. We hate waiting. I mean, there's few things that make us so angry and frustrated as waiting. And, and here's where this may sting a little bit, but it's so true. It's true for you. It's true for me. We bring this unhealthy expectation of immediate gratification and, the, and these false assumptions that are associated with this. We bring that to our relationship with God. And, and so we, we go through a season in our life where we, we have to wait, and we just hate it. And, and we get frustrated, and we get confused, and maybe we even start thinking some things that we know are not quite true, but, but we hate waiting so much we can't help but think it that maybe God doesn't care. 
Maybe I'm doing this whole prayer thing wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe one knee instead of two. I don't know. I got to do something different because God's not hearing my prayer. I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm frustrated. And we come to church and we hear the pastor read, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, wait for the Lord. And we say, good for you, buddy, but I'm tired of that. We hear that from someone like King David and we think he's a king. When did he ever have to wait? We bring this, this same unhealthy and un, unnatural expectation to our relationship with God. And we grow frustrated and we grow confused and we think this whole prayer thing isn't working because something hasn't happened in the frame of time in which we really, really want it to happen. But, but today I want to invite you just to, just to give David a chance, if you will, with me. I read to you the last verse of Psalm 27, but let's see if there's anything of value that we might find in the 13 verses that precede that. So listen now to the entirety of what David is articulating in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. One of our core values as a church is that every one of us has a next step. Wherever you are in your life, wherever you are in your journey of faith with God, you're beginning to walk with Jesus, or you've been doing that for quite some time, everyone has a next step. Everyone has room to grow. There's no finished products around here. We all have a place we need to work on, something we need to do, a step that we need to take, and that never stops for any of us. And one of the reasons that we believe it's so important that each and every one of us continue to seek out and take those next steps is because those steps of faith that we take are not just for ourselves. Those steps are what God uses to influence and help others take their next steps. Which is why another one of our values is that followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus. So here's what that, here's what that means for me. That means that as your pastor... My number one priority, the thing that I absolutely have to do above all else, may not be what you think it is. 
It's not preaching. Though that's important because nobody wants to fall asleep at church, right? I mean, you, you want something engaging, something helpful for you in your life. It's important, but it's not the number one thing. It's not vision. Though, though we know how important vision is for our own life, how important vision is for the church, it's not making sure we make the annual budget. Though that is important, <laughs> as it is for any ministry or any organization that wants to wants to meet the goals and plans they set at the beginning of the year. It's none of those things. My number one priority, what, what I have learned in the lives of others, my number one priority has to be following Jesus. Because if I don't do that, I can't do anything else. If I don't follow Jesus in my own life, then nothing else that I do really matters. And the same is true for you in your life as you think about the influence that you want to have on others and the, uh, what you hope you, is realized in your family's life and the lives of others. The most important thing is to follow Jesus because you can't take anyone where you haven't been before. You can't give to anyone what you do not yourself possess. And, and one of the great joys of our life is the witnesses of others who share with us what they've learned along the way. People like John, who talk about what they've learned about prayer and ministry over the course of decades of, of faithfulness and walking with God. And here you have David. And in this psalm, David talks about enemies. He talks about armies surrounding him. He talks about war and threats of conflict. Uh, uh, he talks about the day of trouble. He, he talks about foes who are working against him. He talks about those who are spouting malicious accusations against him. He, he speaks about God's anger over his own sin. And none of these things were just things that David had read about in a history book. These were the experiences of David's life. These were the bumps in the road in his leadership of Israel as king. It wasn't small things, it was massive moments of upheaval that occurred. Moments in his own life where David had nothing to turn to except for the words that he would eventually add to the end of this psalm. I remain confident of this. In the midst of all these things that have happened in my life, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So you could essentially summarize Psalm 27, the entirety of all 14 verses in in, in a very simple way, it's, it's David's answer to this question as he thinks about his own life and what he's discovered. It's David saying over and over and over again, God was worth waiting for. When armies surrounded me, when, when my friends turned against me, when people were, were, were sharing false accusations against me, when, when I uh, felt uh, alone and lost, when, when friends forsake me, uh, when I knew that I'd even disappointed God, when, when nothing else, I couldn't turn to anything else, here's what I discovered over and over again in my life, God was worth waiting for. Every time that I needed him, God, God showed up for me. 
And this is David's witness for us that God was worth waiting for. So as you think about those things in your life that you treasure and you value, those things that when you look back on when they were realized in your life, you just can't help but smile. Think about what they mean to you and how, how much you treasure them. Here's, here's the question that we all have to wrestle with, and it's a hard one because it's a challenge. Is God worth waiting for? Do you have a faith that says God is worth waiting for? When I go through seasons of great struggle, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when nothing seems to be going the right way and I can't even see the light that may be there at the end of the tunnel, I don't even know it's there. When you're there in that moment, is God worth waiting for? Is your faith, does your faith teach you to wait and to trust and to lean into this idea that I will, I'm confident because I will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. So I will wait for the Lord. I will, I will be strong. I will take heart. I will wait for the Lord. The witness of the saints all throughout the scriptures and all throughout Christian history, the heroes of the faith, the mentors in my life and the mentors in your life have all testified to this truth, that in the waiting is where faith grows. In the waiting is where faith grows. Anyone in your own life who you look to and you think, wow, hero of the faith, I want to have a faith like theirs. It wasn't formed because all their, all their questions were answered immediately and all their prayers were, uh, they, they felt like they were immediately responded to is because they had the courage to wait for the Lord. And in that season of waiting to, to hold on to confidence and hold on to trust. And this is actually the worth that is found in the waiting. And so brothers and sisters, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Don't give up. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Loving God, today I want to pray especially for those who are waiting in their life right now. Lord, maybe they're waiting on test results for themselves or for a loved one, waiting for healing, waiting for hope, waiting for restoration of a relationship waiting for so many different things. Lord, we're all in the same boat here. We all find ourselves at times becoming frustrated and confused, thinking that maybe you have forgotten us. Maybe, maybe we're doing this prayer thing wrong. There's something missing. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, you would give us the courage to, to hold fast to the truths of our faith to lean into the words, the promises that you share in your scriptures. And Lord, to look to others who might also inspire us and remind us of your goodness and your love. And so for those here today, Lord, who, who may not find themselves in that place of life right now, they're in a season where things are going well, would you, Lord, give 
to each and every one of them, to all of us, Lord, a, a sensitivity to those around us who may need an extra measure of hope in these days ahead. Remind us, God, that the faith that you have given to each and every one of us is not for ourselves alone, but it is meant to be shared. And so, Lord, together we wait on you and we trust that in our waiting, what we experience is never wasted. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.